Um, has anybody ever done anything in their life where they, you knew you were wrong, and so you, like, physically went and, like, ran away and hid? Maybe, maybe when you were younger, and maybe it has been recently. You know, when I was younger, I remember one time, I was probably, I'm going to guess I was around five or six. <coughs> I was out, um, well, I, I think we can call it playing with, with one of my neighbors. He was like four or five years older than me. So, you know, I looked up to him. I was trying, I was, I was always trying to impress him. His name was Caleb. And for some reason, this playing involved throwing rocks into a field. Because that's just what boys do, I guess. We throw rocks. And so, But we weren't throwing them at each other, right? And so, um, we, you know, we were trying to find rocks and see who could throw it the farthest. And I remember, like, they were all throwing them. And I turned around, and I, I looked for a good rock, and I, I found one. I was like, oh, this one's going to be really, really good. And so I grabbed it, and I just turned around and ran and threw. But what I should have done is turned around and looked to see if it was clear out in the field that I was throwing, and then thrown. Because what had happened is Caleb had run out to the field to get to the rock that he just threw because he really liked the rock. He wanted to try again. And so, but I didn't look. I just turned around and threw, and, like, it was like, I don't know if you guys have seen that. It was a viral clip quite a few years ago. Um, there was this kid who was on a basketball court, and this guy tried to throw, like, a full, full court shot, and the basketball was just, like, going. And you just see this kid running, like, on the side. It just, boom, hits him in the face, and he falls over. It was that, okay, except it was a rock and not a basketball. And so, it, I mean, I, st- I just hit Caleb right in the eye. Like, right, I mean, he had the big old black eye. And so, you know, me, the caring individual that I was, I turned around and I ran home. And um, I, I, I ran home, and I, we had a guest room in our house, and I went and hid behind the guest um, bed, and I, like, I went underneath the bed. You know, as a five-year-old, I, I knew I was in trouble, okay? Just hit a kid in the face with a rock. <coughs> and so I hid. And then a few minutes later, you know, I hear knocking at my door, and um, I didn't tell my mom that I was home. And they, uh, they were trying to find me. So they're like, well, where's he at? And I, c- I could hear him talking. And they said, we don't know. We saw him come home. And so my mom's running around the house trying to find me. Then she goes outside. Pretty soon, like after five, ten minutes, this turns to panic because my mom didn't know where her five-year-old son was. And so she starts, like, screaming and, like, you know, trying to find me. So finally, I was like, man, I better get out of here. I better get up and tell her I'm here. So I got up, and I said, I'm right here. And I got in trouble for that, for, that, for hiding, because she almost called the cops on me. <coughs> but, but I was in the wrong. I did something wrong, and so I ran, and I hid from it, right? And, and because I was scared. I didn't want to get in trouble. I knew I just r- did something wrong, and I, I just didn't really want to own up to the consequences of it. <coughs> but I think that there's a lot of times in our lives where we think we need to run and hide. <coughs> because we know we're in the wrong, yeah, we know we're broken, and we know we've messed everything up. You know, sometimes that leads us to physically run and hide under a bed um, when you're five years old like I did. And other times it, it, it leads us to run and kind of check out mentally from the reality just to escape it. It's our way of kind of rejecting it uh, to survive with ourselves, right? And I, and I think at least as Christians, <coughs> the reason that we feel this way is partially because of who Jesus is. Okay, and who he shows us he is through his life. And that might sound kind of strange, and it does sound strange. But, but I think we get a glimpse of that in our passage today. We're going to kind of rearrange a little bit. Um, we're going to jump ahead this week and then jump back a little bit next week. Um, 
but it's okay. Evan's, um, Evan's brain might kind of freak out. He might kind of have a panic attack that we're doing that because he doesn't really work that way, but he, he okayed it. So Nick and I just decided to switch because of how Nick's preaching schedule. Um, but today we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Pretty familiar story. It's a crazy story. <coughs> I think God kind of put a different message on my heart than I've ever taken away from this passage. So if you guys have your Bibles, you want to turn there. <coughs> Mark, Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20 is where we're going to be at. Starting in verse 1, it says this. They went across the lake to the region of uh, Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance... He ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go unto them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, and about 2,000 in number, rushed down to the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town of the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. <coughs> okay, so a lot of times when we study this passage, we focus on Jesus' power over the demon-possessed man, how he had complete authority over him, how the, the demons really needed his permission to, to leave. But I'm going to go a little bit different direction with this tonight, because I th- we've talked about that a little bit over the last few weeks, just kind of Jesus' um, power over the physical and the spiritual. So as I dive into this text today, it might seem a little different, but, but I, I really think that there's a different application here. Because um, as we dive in this text, I think what we do is we get a, a glimpse of a few characteristics of Jesus. We see him here in a few different lights, which I think is just always kind of fascinating to study because it helps us know him as a complete person. You know, you can't really tell all about a person just from one encounter with them, right? You have to kind of build um, a kind of a portfolio of that person through different experiences. And I think we get a couple glimpses of, of this Jesus guy here. And the first is Jesus as torturer. What, wait, what? <laughs> Seems kind of weird, right? I, I did say that on purpose. This might seem kind of crazy to give the Son of God uh, this title. But bear with me because I think we, it'll, it'll make sense here in a second, okay? So when we meet, uh, when Jesus met this man in our text, we get a sense from the language used that this man had been there for a long time. Okay, he, he had been chained up multiple times, and this had probably been going on for a while now. Uh, this has pr- been an ongoing thing, right? 
This has been go- taking place. Um, but his first reaction when Jesus approached him, he did a few things. First, he acknowledged who Jesus was, the Son of the Most High God. But he also said, he asked him a question. He said, what do you want with me, Jesus? And then he told him not to torture him. And he begged him to send him away. And it's kind of an interesting thing that he, he feared that Jesus was going to torture him. Because if this man really knew that Jesus was the Son of the Most High God, which he knew, he, he said it to him, he proclaimed it, he, he, you know, he gave him that title, then to ask him not to torture him seems like a strange request, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus doesn't torture people, right? I mean, at least with how we normally view God, that just can't be. He must have been mistaken. But it's interesting that his go-to response in this situation was, don't torture me. My guess, based upon the clues given here, is that this man, this man, this human being, was pretty used to that type of treatment in his life. My guess is that he had often heard insults thrown at him. You know, that he had probably, you know, he's probably constantly told how bad of a person he must be to be possessed like this by this legion, this mini demons. And that he didn't need anyone else to really point out that to, to him because he already knew it. And then we see that he recognizes Jesus as the Son of the Most High. So he obviously, he had some sort of guilt in his heart and he understood the authority he was standing in front of, um, that he had with Jesus in front of him because he was uncomfortable with it. Okay? Because he was convicted right away with, with who Jesus was and who he wasn't. But by, he was convicted by this sin. He was worn out by all the torment that he had endured and he didn't really want any more of it, especially from the Son of God who he knew he was guilty in front of. And this was just, this could you know, there was just the demon talking. If it was just the demon talking, he knew he couldn't stand before Jesus either. But I really think that there was part of this man, this, this human being that was speaking out here as well. Because here's the thing. Jesus had this kind of effect on people, didn't he? He still does today. He's a... He's a torturer in a sense that when people live with the belief that their identity is in their flesh and in their sin, that they want nothing to do with Jesus because it brings into light those shortcomings and those failures. And nobody enjoys that, do they? I mean, everyone already knows their faults. You know, we rarely have to be convinced of them if we're really honest with ourselves. I mean, this is because we live with them every single day. We go to sleep with them every single night with the weight of, the, of our faults on our shoulders, right? And for someone like Jesus to confront us, it brings even more torment to our hearts because we know even more how broken we truly are. When the Son of the Most High God stands before you, you know you're a broken vessel in your flesh. So in a way, torment is brought on by Christ. And this is why I think so many people choose not to believe in Jesus. Because if they do, then that makes them accountable for their sins, right? It makes them own up to that, to that brokenness that they feel. That makes those faults that we already have to live with, that we all know, it makes those faults become even more real and they, beca- they become even more consequential. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Thanks. And, um, you know, a few years back, we had a guy named Tim Tebow on our team. And, you know, I didn't actually really dislike Tim Tebow as a player. Sorry if you liked him. And as a Broncos fan, I just didn't think he was that good of a quarterback. But I loved Tim Tebow as a man. 
and I got to meet him a few years ago, got to get my picture with him and stuff, which was pretty cool. <coughs> but one of the things that Tebow did was that he brought Christ into the NFL publicly. I mean, he, he stood out in front of people, gave all the glory to God, publicly proclaimed to Christ that everything he did was for the glory of God, and, and every, you know, everything he did was, was point, trying to point to Jesus. And the people in the NFL hated him for it. They, they hated him. They would tell him, you know, even like Christian guys in the NFL would say, Jesus, or, sorry, T- Tim, it's called Tim, Jesus, sorry. Tebow, shut up about this, man. Leave, leave Jesus out of the NFL, right? And the reason people hated him so much is because it called into question the way that the rest of them were living their lives. Because this other culture in the NFL, these, these superstars, was something much different than the superstar, than the life and the culture that Jesus, uh, man, I did it again. Tim Tebow did uh, when he promoted, you know, pointed to Jesus in his life. And it really, it held them accountable to a different standard than they were ho- holding themselves to. And so they hated him for it. You know, I'm not calling Tim Tebow Jesus, even though I had Freudian slips there. And I knew I was going to say that. That's why I kept doing it. But he, but he does give all the credit in his life to Christ, which brings Jesus right in front of people with all of their faults and all of their sins, and they become accountable for those things, and they don't want that. And so what do they do? Keep Jesus out of the NFL, Tim. Just leave. Leave, Jesus. Leave. Now, I think this goes for people in our churches as well. Okay? Think of a young person who feels uncomfortable in the church because they've broken one or more of the Ten Commandments that week. And they told if they do that, then they're a bad person. Think of the college student who doesn't want to confront God because they, they think that these doubts that they've been having of his existence um, will condemn them. So they just give in to the doubts and they reject him. Think of the tired businessman who, who lives by one set of rules Monday through Saturday but then tries to make it right before God, excuse me, on Sunday. <clears throat> and this wears him out over time. You see, in the most wonderful of senses, Jesus does torture us. Because he reveals to us our absolute need for him. And how hopeless we are without him. And where that leads a lot of people is to go right back to their chains. Our chains are e- easier, aren't they? You know, they're, they're more comfortable, in a sense. It sounds weird. Chains are more comfortable. But they are, because they're, fam- they're familiar. You know, we know how to deal with them. We've been dealing with them for our whole lives, basically. Or, or at least we know how to pretend to deal with them. You know, th- this is why the man didn't ask Jesus to heal him. He didn't, even, he didn't even really ask him. Actually, he said, don't. Don't throw me out. Don't cast me out. You know, he just asked him to leave him. Leave him be with his chains and, not, and to not torture him. And I know he was possessed, guys, but, but you could see that he, he really wanted no part of, of this Jesus guy that was standing in front of him. This man that's the son of the Most High God. And after Jesus healed this man and the demons went into the pigs and, and they all died, the pig herders came out and they saw what happened. And what did they, what did they tell Jesus? Leave. Leave, Jesus. We don't want you in the NFL. We don't want you around here. They didn't even recognize the fact that this man who had been possessed, this human being who had been tortured forever was now healed. I mean, it says that they saw him, right? It says that they saw him and they were scared. But, but they don't even make a big deal about that. They just move on past it. 
Because, you know, we know, we know that they saw him. Because everyone knows about the crazy possessed guy that lives in the tombs that's chained up. Everybody knows that guy. Okay? But even when something as miraculous as this happened, they didn't even really acknowledge the work that Jesus did, this miracle that he just did. No one was able to control this man. He was so strong so it, that nobody could control him. But Jesus shows up and boom, like that, he's healed. But they don't even want to talk about that. Instead, they're worried about the physical, their stuff, their own chains. Because dealing with the healed man who is trans- transformed by, the, by this man Jesus, that's just too uncomfortable to talk about. I mean, if this, if this man who had been, you know, they had all been probably been insulting for many years. If this man <coughs> could be healed, what does that mean about the rest of them? That's just an uncomfortable conversation, right? And I think that this is why that testimonies don't always work when evangelizing to the lost. They do work. I think you should know your testimony. I think you should be ready to share that with people. Okay? But I th- they don't always work. And I think that's because instead of acknowledging the change and transformation that happens in people's lives, non-believers will just go back to the pigs. Well, what about the oppression that the gospel puts on homosexuals? Leave, Jesus. Well, what about the contradicting, contradicting text in the, Bible, in the Bible? Leave, Jesus. What about the people that God slaughtered in the Old Testament? Leave Jesus. They just go back to the pigs. You see, I've got answers to all these questions. Those of us in Christ do through his word. But these are just the questions that come from people who are tormented by the thought of Jesus. And it leads them to rejecting him. Which is so sad because he is the only one that really has the power to change our souls for eternity. So we don't have to focus on the pigs anymore. Because I'm not saying that the destruction of those pigs didn't have some serious side effects in those people's lives. It was catastrophic, okay? It really was. You know, this has to have been one of those crazy moments in Scripture. I always think, like, I have no idea if I'm going to have this desire when I get to heaven. But I, I, there's just moments in the Bible that I really want to see, like, that took place. This is one of them. I mean, thousands of pigs, like, just running to their death. I'm sorry, that's kind of funny. Like, it's just... I mean, I just kind of want to see this happen. But, to, but I don't want to make light. Like, it was a big loss. You know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of their livelihoods. You know, it, it was a life-changing moment for a lot of them. But does any of that really matter eternally? No. Did any of that really matter compared to the power that Jesus just showed that he could heal this man from, these, from legion, these mini demons? No. But the pigs are easier to focus on. Because they take the pressure off of ourselves and onto something we can tangibly grasp. Well, I've talked about Jesus as torture. That isn't the only characteristic of Jesus that I think we get from this text. We also see Jesus as our liberator. We also see Jesus as liberator. You see this man who had been tortured, who had been exposed to ridicule, slander, guilt, and isolation. This man was now exposed to love and to grace. And it liberated him. You see, Jesus enters the struggle with us. Those who feel tormented by Jesus are actually accompanied by him as well. One of my favorite passages is in Hebrews chapter 4. 
<coughs> 15 through 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus came to this earth to identify with us, to meet us where we are, and to say each and every and to say to each and every one of us that you know what? You aren't good enough to stand before God on your own. No one is. Not a single person that has ever lived ha- it is. But I am. I am good enough, and I'm going to take your pains, I'm going to take your sins, I'm going to take your torments, and I'm going to go to the cross with them. And I'm going to pay the price for all of them, so that when God looks upon you, he doesn't see your chains, he sees your liberation. He sees me, Jesus. That's exactly what he did. The problem is, is that we like to go back to our chains. But Jesus understands this. We just read that passage. He understands it. And so he really, one of the things that Jesus came to do is he came to save us from ourselves. Our sin, it's taken care of. Our brokenness, it's healed. But it's only healed if we choose to accept the liberation that God brings through his grace, through Jesus. But but we we have to get over ourselves and stop going back to our chains all the time. So Jesus comes and really what he does is he, he saves us from us. And I understand the struggle though. We, we love to hide in these sanctuaries that we've created. You know, we, we love to cover up inside these places that we seem protected from Jesus as the torturer. Those familiar chains. Just leave Jesus. Let me be. One of my favorite songs of all time is by a band named Dashboard Confessional. I know, funny, right? They're not a Christian band by any means. Um, but I, I love the poetry that he uses to explain raw emotion in some of the songs. He actually did used to do Christian music for a while, the, the lead singer. Um, but this song in particular, it's one of my favorites, um, paints a picture of what we do when we hide and we run from God. It's called The Places That We've Come to Fear the Most. I just want to, oops, I just want to read some of the lyrics. Okay, and it's just, and this is what it says. It says, buried deep as you can dig inside yourself and covered with a perfect shell, such a charming, beautiful exterior. Laced with brilliant smile, smiles and shining eyes and perfect makeup, but you're barely scraping by. You're barely scraping by. This is one time, this is one time that you can't fake it hard enough to please everyone or anyone at all, or anyone at all. In the grave that you refuse to leave, the refuge that you built to flee, it's the place that you've come to fear the most. It's the place that you've come to fear the most. Now I've got to admit to you guys something. That's the first time I've ever used a dashboard confessional song in a sermon before. <coughs> but I think it so accurately describes something that we all try to do from time to time. You see, we think we can hide from God, from other people, from, from our realities of, of our chains. Because of how convicted and guilty we feel when, when we're confronted by this Jesus. And we, all, we can all fake it well enough, kind of like this talk, song's talking about, right? We can all fake it well enough in front of others. We, we can smile. We can put on this fake exterior. We can look like thing, everything's great. But the beauty of God's grace is that we don't have to. 
Jesus has come before each and every single one of us, just like he did with this man that was possessed. And I, and I know we can all ask him the same question. What do you want from me, Jesus? What do you want from me? Just like this man did before Jesus in our text. What do you want from me? You want to torture me? Because I'm not good enough? I get it already. Trust me, people let me know all the time how I'm not good enough. Leave me be. Leave me, Jesus. But Jesus comes over to us, he takes our chains, and he breaks them for good. And he says to all of us, I want to show you my love and for you to love me in return. I know that you on your own aren't good enough, but you aren't alone. I'm with you. The creator of the universe is with you. You aren't alone and you never will be. And guess what? I am sufficient. I am liberator. I am sufficient. So I want to ask you guys tonight, kind of wrap this up. I want to ask you, your chains, are they really worth holding on to? here's the thing guys in Christ Jesus doesn't see your chains he sees you liberated so why would you act like you're chained up still if you're just seeing Jesus as torture guys I get it okay if you're but if you're just seeing him as torture then you're not getting the whole picture of what grace really is because while he convicts you of your sins he also saves you from them because he paid for them with his own blood he doesn't just make you feel worthless as a torturer, but he gives you worth because he liberates you. So when you ask Jesus, what do you want from me? I want you to know that he's screaming out to you, I want you to be free. Because those who are free, free indeed. Yes, you know what guys? Jesus is our torturer in our flesh. But only to the end that he is pointing us to his grace. Accept it, live the exchanged life where his grace flows through you and you identify yourself through it, that is what Jesus really wants for us. That's what he died on the cross for, for us. So church, what do you say? Are you liberated today? Are you free today? Let's live like it. Let's worship the one who makes any of that possible. We're going to go into a kind of an extended time of worship here tonight. Because I think it's just an awesome opportunity just to really praise God, to lift God up and, and glorify Him and really let Him examine our hearts today. And guys, I just hope, I hope you just let those chains go. Quit going back to Him. I know, you're, I know you hate Him. I know that's what you fear the most. But you don't have to go back there anymore. Jesus has freed us from those things. Remember, He's our liberator. Let's, pray, let's praise Him for that tonight. Let's pray. Father God, I just... Uh, come before you tonight, Father God, and I um, I pray that people can just experience some freedom tonight. Father, there's nothing more powerful than your grace. You just showed it to us in this text. This legion, this many demons couldn't, couldn't do anything. It's pretty foolish for us to think that we can. Father, I just, uh, I just pray for, for those of us that 
might be struggling with this tonight, I just pray that they experience your grace, they experience your freedom, and that they just decided to live with you as their liberator. And they just walk away from those, those chains. They realize that you've already broken them. There's really no chains to go back to. It's just an illusion. Father, for maybe for some of those that really have been just thinking of you as torturer, that are just sick of this guilt, they just don't even want anything to do with you because of the guilt. Father, may they not forget about the second part of who you are. That while, yes, you convict us, but you also saved us. Father, we praise you for that tonight. We glorify you. We give you all the glory for that tonight, Father. We praise things in your son, Jesus' name, that makes any of this possible. Amen.